Hell yeah. No, for sure. You look fucking good. I ain't seen you in forever. I mean, besides pictures and shit. But. Yeah, I'm st same old me, bro. I wake up every day at 3 a.m. and my ass is at the fucking gym, pounding fucking weights, doing fucking cardio, yeah. training three times a day. Um, you still got you still got your blade collection, <laughs> dude. It's even worse now. Oh <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I got like my upstairs up here filled with nothing but knives. And then I got like the garage with like right. my, uh, heavy equipment. That's your yeah. arsenal out there. <laughs> yeah. 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 For a minute, man. Um, I stopped messing with guns and then uh, here pretty soon, I'm going to go ahead and start getting back into that kind of like, I like shooting because it's very therapeutic, you know, yeah. the breathing aspect of it releases the endorphins. Dude, yeah. And I just miss the smell of gun smoke. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. When I, so like when I, uh, when I got out in 2010, you know, I don't know how you want to propose, like what kind of questions you want to propose to me or pick my brain about just because we haven't talked in so long and we got all this time to process shit differently. But you said that. So it brought up this memory. Um, I worked at uh, Para USA, which is a, uh, 1911s manufacturer they used to be um, down in in Pineville North Carolina which is like just south of Charlotte but I got hired on by them and I brought was brought in and trained I don't have any kind of like gunsmithing background or anything but the head gunsmith there trained me up you know in the warranty and service cage where he did most of his work and then they put me into the test fire range and I spent almost a year and a half in the test fire range, just shooting fucking probably over a thousand rounds a day, 45, mostly it was 45. So like, I just got really good at shooting 1911s, but then they had <laughs> like a really bad, they had a really bad uh, range setup as far as like the ventilation went. So like every six months or so they would send you to get your lead levels tested like oh. blood work checked and everything and like my lead levels got to the point where they were like dangerously high wow so, yeah which is terrible like you can't once you get like lead if you get too much lead in your blood it it can end up like depositing in your bones and like it'll be stay there forever pretty much i, I mean i know your bones regenerate but like it, you can have like lifelong like problems from it so they pulled me out of there and then i ended up uh 
going onto the bench and like build, you know, building the production guns and stuff, which it was pretty sick. But honestly, dude, I, I hated it because just like any, you know, factory job or whatever, like they're all about numbers and shit. So when Ooh. I was in, the, when I was in the range, I was part of like the QC, the whole QC quality control department shit. And they're like, we would have guns that are shooting fucking way low into the left. And typically that can be like a, a trigger pull issue or anticipating around and you, you jerk the, the, the barrel down, right. you know, anticipate the, the recoil and the, the manager, which he always says he was dev grew in this shit. I don't think this guy did shit. Like operationally, <laughs> I think he was some admin shit in the army. He was in the army, but like kept saying he was with like fifth group and all this shit. And I'm like, okay, dude. And he had a Kimber. He, he was a Kimber guy. So I'm like failing all these guns for accuracy issues because it's only a 10 meter range, you know, it's 30, 30 feet or whatever. Right. You were taking, uh, so he brings his Kimber in there and he's standing behind the little, you know, porthole in the range doors. And I'm just drilling the center out of this paper. And I'm like, it's not me dog. Like, it's these fucking guns. Like I'm none of the guns left that day because there was barrel issues or, you know, whatever internal issues with the shit, making it inaccurate. And I'm like, no, you're not going to send them out. Cause all these people that buy this gun and pay a thousand dollars for this gun are going to fucking be sending it right back here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like a number thing. And I'm like, especially with firearms. So sometimes there was like, like safety issues with them where I'm like, this is not, I'm, I'm not comfortable being a part of this shit. And they hated me bitching about it, but it, it was a fun job. Like getting anybody that likes guns and I'm like, yeah, I got to test fire, you know, pistols for right. a year and a half. You're like, what the fuck dude? But it, you know, after a while, it's just like anything else, but. No, no, I understand that, man. I really got into, well, just mainly the Glock, but I did contracting for like five minutes and, yeah. uh, <laughs> I learned new techniques using my weekend and that right. was fun. Uh where did you did you deploy? Yeah, um I was oh, in Kabul um okay. around winter of twenty seventeen, all close to March of twenty eighteen. Oh nice. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I, did you post I feel like I might have seen you post some pictures of you looking all slick and shit. Uh I posted pictures afterwards, but it was mainly when I got back. I, I didn't post any stuff from Kabul. When you because, were doing right. Yeah, because it's all sensitive. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, that was a shit show, man. Was it? Like, no one's missing out on anything. If you're, like, living in a tin can and you have your own pisser and shitter with some Wi-Fi, then yeah. it's good. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> right. Was the was the money decent though, or it was man? They were paying like four sixty five um, for dudes that were doing PSS, um, protected security specialists. So I had the opportunity to work both in the red zone and the green zone. I was on a Bannon team, and then um, some dumb politics stuff. Um, I had to move over into a, a green zone team, which is still the same shit, and. Uh, I mean, I'm still getting paid the same, so it doesn't really fucking matter. And for guys that were with Academy, um, they were all getting paid like 465 unless you were like a shift lead. And then you moved up into the 500 range. And then if you're a paramedic, those dudes were making the big bucks. Yeah. Paramedics and I think marksmen. 
So it was yeah. fun, man, for a while. Right. Um, I went back there to kind of get some closure, dude. Yeah. And uh, it's fucking crazy, dude. I was, uh, I think I was telling Hass and a few other guys, it's like, there is this guy that looked like uh, Sergeant Garrison, bald dude with like Oakley's, those like, was it the cat eye looking ones? And I swear this dude probably thought I was gay or something because every time I saw him, <laughs> I was staring him down. <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just like this guy looked just like Joe. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, damn, that's, I mean, so isn't that, like, isn't, that's kind of part of the reason you stuck around for the 11 pump, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, man. After uh, 2009 didn't sit right with me for a very long time especially what after, you know, what happened to, to Vincent. Right. And uh, I just wanted to, I wanted fucking revenge, man. And uh, I stuck around. I followed through. And that 2011 pump, man, within the first two weeks, we were dropping hellfire on motherfuckers and taking them out. You know, it was a quick, quick, Defeat of the Taliban started taking out their logistics, fucking incapacitate them from any kind of ID capability. And then the fucking internal politics is what got at least first platoon. Um, just dumb careerist mindsets. Yep. Uh, they didn't like the fact that people like Joe, myself, and some of the other senior guys had more pumps under their belt that knew what was going down. You know, it was always about this, you know, top-down process instead of, you know, doing both, right? And I remember, too, like, that summer of 2010, all the team leaders got briefed. Hey, this is a small unit leaders war, you know. It's everything's going to be decentralized execution. Like, you guys are, you know, going to be the ones making all the decisions. And... You know, you mix stuff with like, you know, lieutenant boot drops with, you know, staff NCOs that are coming from B billets after literally a decade after we've been in the fight in Afghanistan, coming back to the fleet. It's not a good mix. And so that really messed me up for a little bit. But what really got me was like right after the whole thing that happened with Joe, after he passed, man, it's like, so it's a crazy story. So in the beginning, you know, we were sending up merch chat, you know, messages to try to find Staff Sergeant Hawks. You know, we were telling them, look, hey, you know, we got this platoon sergeant, this platoon commander who are undermining us. They're telling higher, hey, Wait, this is all this, this is all through the Blue Force tracker or? Uh, the merch chat, you know how we had like merch chat, like COCs had a merch chat. Uh -uh. So it's like a basically an encrypted uh, SMS. Just on a computer? Yeah, dude. Oh, okay. So we were operating out of a, a patrol base. It was a squad size plus. It was called patrol base Garrett. And it was uh, Sergeant Garrison squad. Uh, I was first fire team leader. And then we had attachments. So we had Reeser, we had Fattis, Rickards. Um, who else did we have? Man, we had, a, I can't remember who the other attachments were. 
You didn't have, did you have, you didn't have Rash and uh, Bruno? Yeah, no, we had Rash, but Rash was with, uh, I think he was with uh, second squad, Donnie squad. Okay. And he was up in, uh, he was about like two clicks away from us at a place called PB McKinley. Him and Steve, him and Cochran. Yeah, Cochran. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the big ball bastard. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, we ended up, well, we ended up, it's crazy because they ended up calling what's called a tactical, a tactical relief. So, because the politics got so bad, one of the squads from McKinley came and switched us out and we ended up moving to PB McKinley and um, Garrison, Donnie, we ended up running all the patrols out of PB Mac and first squad. And it's, it's unfortunate, but Sergeant Lang, who was recently, who recently completed suicide was in charge of that squad, him and Coldwell. And uh, first. I don't think I knew him. He so when did he do that? Uh, I'm gonna say late 2019. Oh fuck! Yeah, it, well, it's fucking it's fucked up because it's like it's like there's so many back to back that it's you can't even keep up. Like yeah, I don't even know if I ever met him. I feel like I probably saw that, but I don't think I I knew who he was. He was an O I. What's that? Yeah, he was an uh, an OIF guy, and he came to the fleet like right after everyone had, kind of like, you know, EAS'd. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like I should know this shit you're saying because I have your book, but I haven't read a fucking page of it. My my wife's read the whole thing and like fucking talked to me about some <laughs> of the shit, and I'm like, you know that, a lot, I'm like a lot of the stuff because I knew kind of the the. The background to it was primarily the 11 deployment, but so I didn't know a lot of it, but she, she told me some things that I kind of feel like I already had heard through the, through the grapevine. And um, I don't know, I kind of, it's hard for me to go. It's dude, it's honestly harder for me to, to hear like somebody like you, I like that. I know personally talk about an experience you had you know, that I don't know anything about. It's almost harder for me to like try to understand what you went through, even though I know you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, it's, it's hard. It's, I mean, I, you know, I could sit here and tell you everything about, you know, the shit that I deal with on a daily basis. And that doesn't bother me because just because I think that I, I, I just relive it so often that like I force myself to, um, but like hearing somebody else or like, dude, even like watching like movies, like realistic movies that are based on true stories, like that shit's hard for me because like, it's almost like you understand everything, all the emotions and shit involved with it, even though you didn't, didn't perceive any of it personally. It's, it's weird, man. Um, but yeah, anyway, she, you're, you're saying things that I feel like, are probably all in your book and i'm like damn i should have read his book but it's it's almost better hearing it from you i think so. no don't worry about that man uh, i wrote that book for, for for like 30 people just to kind of have some closure about that it's like you know you know i'm healing from that time period but now it's like there's so much polarity within this country and then amongst 
you know, just guys that had, you know, that bond that you got to remember that. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's very difficult. And I get it, you know, party lines and this and that. It's just. Dude, it is weird, man. I was thinking about that this the other day. I've thought about it several times and I'm just like, but really it's probably about a month ago. I was just sitting there doing something like chores around the house or some shit like that. And I was like, man, you know, what you experienced in combat, like for that short period of time, whether it be, you know, six months or, or 14 months, like army guys had to deal with and shit like that. It's like, if you, if you are lucky enough and I say it in a way that, you know, there's good and bad that comes out of that shit, but you literally experience probably every human emotion known to man in that six month period, like the, the, the best times, not just the, you know, oh yeah, you know, I just wasted fucking this compound or we dropped mortars or already on a guy or whatever, like not just those good feelings, but like other, other just really good, good emotions. And then the absolute worst type of emotions, you know, I, I think about shit a lot and shit that like we, that we have dealt with. And I try to think about like first responders, like paramedics and firefighters and police officers that stateside, you know, I do have respect for, for all of those individuals willing to do those jobs. But it's a completely different mentality when, when there is someone actively trying to kill you. You know, when you're exposed to sh just sheer trauma and just fucking terrible shit, the, the underlying tone of somebody like intentionally was out there to murder this person, that's not a car accident that unfortunately some innocent people get injured in or die in, which is still very traumatic. I'm not trying to downplay that, but that, but that whole, whole fucking idea that, you know, my buddy that got fucking blown to pieces, that was completely intentional. That was 100% what they were trying to do to him or to us or, you know, and it's just like, it's just a whole lot it's just next level. You know, I don't think anybody that is exposed to something like that, unless it has that same under underlying tone to it, they, it, it, you just don't feel it the same way. I'm not yeah. saying that that stuff can't leave scars on. I am sure it does, you know, any, any trauma can, but when you know that that person was trying to murder you or your friends and and like you're still there and you still have to fucking deal with it on a daily basis like i think that's what what really leaves those those lasting effects on you like you know you're in an environment where people are trying to kill you and all your friends on a fucking daily basis like that's just a wild thing to experience you know and i and i know obviously you know this very well but it's just like that's why you know apart from the politics that you had to deal with just how exhausting it is living in that type of situation, you know, in the tempo and the shit you're doing and how it wears you out and how towards the end of your deployment, you don't even give a fuck. Like you don't even give a fuck if you make it home, you're so fed up with everything, you know? And that's, I mean, I guess you call that complacency or whatever, but 
you know, that is what happens because to me and, uh, you know, several guys I'm close to, I've, you know, I've talked to about it. It's like, you know, you, you do before you fucking step foot out on your first patrol in a combat zone. I, I do think you just part of you has to already picture yourself as, as a dead man. It's the only way to do it. I think that's the only way to actually be effective is when you stop, you know, when you stop caring about yourself really and just caring about doing your job and making sure nobody gets hurt that, that, you know, that doesn't need to get hurt. But, you know, I, I guess it's just, fuck, it's combat. You're, you're naive to think that somebody's not going to get fucking hurt. Right. I think, you know. No, man. You, you hit it on the nail, man. Um, I use a different framework or lexicon i use philosophy and religion to kind of articulate the finer points of that experience because a lot of it you know is what they call psychophysiological it's like a lot of it's in your head but a lot of it because it is in your head and because you have to compartmentalize it on a daily basis 24 7 you know it's like one minute you're doing ops then you have downtime and then it's like ops again downtime ops and then it's just on and on and on that your brain can't process it. And so like you get stuck, not stuck in time, but you know, you have like the olfactory senses. Like I get flashbacks all the time now. And I used to think that that shit was a lie, but one day I'm going to great clips and I smell like burning wood, bro. <laughs> and dude, I'm, yeah, I'm that's like, the word. The- the worst one for me is bur- like if I smell something that smells like a burn pit, like burning trash. It's so weird how those sensory memory things will f- like bring you right back there. I don't want to call it triggered because that, but that really is what it is. But those sensory memories are so insane. That oh, you yeah. smell that smell, or you smell like gun, like gunpowder still does it for me too. Um, it's just it's just weird. Yeah, but yeah. But continue. I didn't mean to. No, no, that's fine. No, but yeah, it's just like, you know, so part of like the research that I do now. Um, so it's one thing about like the Marine Corps and just like the military in general is that a lot of it, a lot of it's like doctrinal aspects, like all a lot of this like kind of knowledge that we commit to memory. A lot of it has religious properties and very ancient properties. And one of the aspects, and, and, you know, I hate talking about suicide aloud because, you know, the research indicates that when you talk about it, it ends up having a contagion. It's very contagious, but, yeah. you know, like, for example, like in the book Hagakure, uh, which was written by Sunamoto and another kind of like Ronin samurai, um, most of their writings um, discuss that you know, this idea of the way has to come with knowing and understanding this kind of form of death. You can only be this warrior um, until you accept this death. Like that's the only way you can really fulfill a warrior's life. And anything less than that, you're screwing yourself over. And I think because of these properties still linger in mainstream kind of America, but it's very like pop culture. 
that we still remember those frameworks. And so it kind of, uh, like you say, it, it does trigger, it does bring up these like philosophical anecdotes that are kind of entangled with actual, you know, psychophysiological sensory kinds of experiences that these just plummet into this downward spiral. And if they don't have the right toolkits or the right uh, supports in their community, that's when you get, you know, those detrimental factors that contribute to, to deviant behaviors. Yeah. And, and so it's like all the time, um, like I recently figured out like the past year that everyone in my family, like the majority of men and women in my family, you know, all the way back to like the early 1900s served in every major conflict minus Vietnam. And, you know, the research now coming forward is, you know, all that stuff is epigenetic. That stuff is like transferred from like bloodline to bloodline. And so I've now begun to realize that because there's always this like 22 year old kid who's like wanting to take over. And then there's like the, the present me. And I'm always like in a conflict with this 22 year old kid. And I have to like learn how to balance that shit. And it's really just dealing with the familial side of things and then my own side and then trying to counter it, like use it for good. It's been very, it's taken me nine years to do that, man. Dude. Yeah. I, I feel you there. Um, so one, I mean, it's fuck. Not many people know about this shit. Probably my wife, but you know, I've talked to her a lot about, about the, the, my experience and, and stuff like that. And honestly, dude, the, the kind of like to touch on what you were saying there, the, the best thing that I ever did was before we deployed in 09, I got a book called On Combat by <laughs> Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Osman, which, you know, was a ranger officer for 23 years or something like that. And you know, retired police officer and his whole book, even though it wasn't that in depth, just talked about the psychological and physiological aspects of what your body goes through during combat. And I read this shit while we were in Leatherneck fucking getting acclimated for those three or four weeks or whatever. And like, I fuck, I don't read, I don't read that much, honestly. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't just... I don't think I have fucking ADD, but like when I read, books, <laughs> yeah. when I read books, dog, like a certain, a certain paragraph will just trigger, you know, my mind to start thinking about what I just read, but I keep reading and then I don't know what the fuck I read for like two pages. So, but I read this book, we're laying there in the cots in the big fucking tents and shit. And I read this fucking book front to back, dude. And, you know, just explaining your, 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 um, you know, your, um, what do you call it? Like the, the, like alertness codes that your body goes through when, ah. when you can have a, uh, psychological heart rate increase based on just your, your exposures, you know, fear and shit, how it can trigger you and go code white to yellow to red to gray to black. And just like that shit to me, it was so interesting at the time and like vasoconstriction, how your body keeps all your blood to your internals and people get flushed and pale and shit like that. Like how those are all, yeah, I lose you there. 
your voice is good. Just the screen. Yeah. Yeah. But just how those are all, you know, like survival, like psychological survival things like it, that just really, you know, um, it really kind of stuck with me and you know how humans it's human nature we're animals still how how we just have this attraction to be drawn towards violent things to in a way to protect ourselves for you know future traumatic events and things like that and you know i read that at leatherneck and then lo and behold come to find out you know that deployment played out the way it did it wasn't you know it wasn't for a lot of guys it wasn't the most um you know the most difficult or most traumatic experience but for some of us it was pretty difficult and uh you know i i do think reading that and knowing that helped me and then after we got back and i got out dude i started thinking like why not just the marine corps specifically like why is there not more teachings on this and and teaching you how your body behaves in very stressful situations i mean they teach you what to do and how to react you know, as far as your, your physiological body goes, when you take contact, you get down, return fire, do all these things, but they don't teach you about what your body and mind go through at really at all that I can remember ever being taught about like shit you're going to, you, you could possibly deal with there. And, you know, that's, that's a huge problem to me is I don't know if like the special, operations community touches more on that and 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 does that for their guys but when you're expecting any ground combat element to go into a combat zone i think that is fucking critical training and information that that the guys you know i do think i do think guys that deal with a lot of you know issues and they make they make that that selfish decision I don't think that they were prepared. You know, I don't think that they were prepared to, to go through what we went through. And I think something like a training like that could definitely help. You know, I know I'm saying this now and it's kind of like an afterthought because there's not really heavy conflict going on right now, but it's like moving forward. That is fucking critical training. And, you know, and not only that, it's the, it's the whole you know, I have an issue mentality with you being weak or you being having a, a hurt, an injury, having a, a body part that is an ailment and going and seeking help for it. So you can be fucking 100% and train to the best of your ability and fight to the best of your ability. You know, there's an infantry fucking this taboo mentality that oh if you have a problem if you're sick if you're fucking injured if your knee or ankle hurts you're weak you go to bas you're a weak bitch you're a pussy it's like this bullying shit that goes on and these guys after they leave don't think that they can go seek fucking help for their problems because i can't be a weak bitch i can't be a fucking a pussy or a problem and then they end up just fucking suffering on their own because they don't know where to go to they don't have their team leaders or squad leaders around anymore that literally is like your family that you feel like they're going to take care of you they're they're at home in some fuck you know in iowa or arkansas in the middle of nowhere with no close people around and they're dealing with a lot of these fucking problems and 
they're like, I can't go ask for help. I'm a, I'm a tough fucking grunt, you know? And then they end up getting fucked up or getting on shit and, you know, to deal with the pain that way and making a poor decision, you know? Um, those are two, like really two big, big issues I, I have with the way that, I mean, I know you want hard dicks out there. You gotta have them. That's, that's, you know, critical to, to, to mission accomplishment, but um that 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 to me is i believe why we have the numbers we do um and not only you know like you said you said a little bit to me before we you know decided to to talk about shit was you know purpose what's your purpose you know after you leave um i forget the guy's name but you remember that uh we did like that mess night shit and we went and got to see that um yeah. general speak and he he made a his speech was great i was i don't know if i was that fucked up but i do remember you know him him making a a statement or he made some some comment or quote i don't know if it was his but it basically was like you know who you are and who you were is going to be the best version of yourself ever you know yeah. that that version of you is is the best you you'll never get that again you'll never get it back but then he kind of went along to say that doesn't mean you can't you know change into a different person and be the best version of that person right you know and i mean i kind of it wasn't exactly that but it was it was basically along those lines and that's just kind of something i feel like in, in me and maybe it's a maybe it's a um, personality trait or a character trait or you know maybe certain people just don't don't have that but you know no matter what I'm doing how how irrelevant or how minuscule it is I just want to fucking be do the best for myself I want to be I want to whatever project I'm working on like I got a I got a wood shop you know I like tinkering and doing little project shit and like that to me really just like setting those little goals like oh i want to you know nail these boards up today or or sand this piece of wood down to get it right like setting those little goals is just makes me feel like i'm achieving something in my life you know that constant improve constantly improve your surroundings just like defense week they teach you always right. work on your fucking parapet and always fucking work on your grenades so all that shit like constantly improve your your situation and I think people just, whether they're not passionate about certain things in life, and that's hard to teach someone how to be passionate or find hobbies or find things they're good at or they enjoy doing, like having those hobbies and things you're passionate about and working at them, no matter what the outcome is, it shouldn't matter to anyone. It should only matter to you what the outcome of it is. Um, those things, like that's really what just, what helps me get through my day-to-day -day and my, my fucking, you know, rough times and shit. I mean, it's, it's really good. It's really good for me mentally. It just helps me keep my head off shit a lot, but not that I push it away in the box in the corner, you know, I, I face it. I intentionally face it regularly because I, I don't want to forget like memories, you know, right. Good ones and bad ones. I, I told a couple guys that I told Rash this before, and I'm like, you know, 
I went down actually to see him. My wife sent me down there in January before all this virus shit happened. Cause she just heard, you know, heard me talking on the phone with him. I'm really pretty close to Rash and, um, you know, she, she called him, she got his number out of my phone and called him was like, I'm buying him a ticket. I'm sending him down there. You know, he's got a bar, he's got a bar down there in Gonzales, Louisiana. And, uh, she sent me down there for like four days. He called Bruno after he found out, you know, Bruno came down there and we just got fucking wasted. But, you know, I ended up, I ended up, I ended up talking to him, you know, about a lot of things, you know, that, that I went through and shit and shit that like, Bruno never even knew. And I, you know, never, I never talked to him about any of it. And I never talked to Rash really about a, a lot of the detailed stuff. And he said, Jesus Christ, Bruno said, Jesus Christ, dude. He said, how do you, how do you, re how do you remember all of this shit? And I said, dude, I intentionally, I, inten the Marine Corps, I feel like was one of the best times of my life. And, you know, and, and worse people say that, but I really do from the day I joined to the day I got out, I will force myself to, to go through and relive those memories in detail the best I can from the day I went to boot camp to the day I got out. And yeah, a lot of it sucks sometimes, especially if you're at work or in the middle of trying to do something, you, you can get in a funk doing that real easy. But I know that if you don't relive memories, they fade and they get hazy and you misremember them the next time you think of them. So I just don't want to, for, I, you know, I know at some point it's going to kind of all turn gray, but you know, I want to try to preserve it as long as I can. And one way to do that is, you know, regularly just relive funny stories, you know, talking about fucking, Sean Martin snapping his nutsack in a fucking mouse trap. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That pursuit, like that kind of shit. Like I want to, like funny shit, like good, good memory shit of like how you how you were with your guys, not just bad shit. Like just all the stories that I want to want to hold in here. You know, I I try to relive them and. You know, they said Bruno or Rash or somebody were just like, man, that's not, I don't know if that's a, you know, a good way to do it. And I'm like, you know, look, man, I, I'm, I'm fine. We're all obviously, you know, dealing with, with certain things, but this is my way of doing it. I feel like I owe it to, you know, specifically Latour and, and Farrell. And I feel like I owe it to them to never forget that kind of shit you know never forget what that was i want that to to lead me in my life and and keep me you know pushing for for things that i want to accomplish no matter how big or small they are just you know enjoy my life to the fullest um and yeah that's kind of that's kind of what's helped me man i mean i i tell my friends my my close buddies that art military guys i'm just like man anytime i have free time like my own personal free time i only want that shit to be a good time you know if you're going through a bad situation now, i'm not saying i'm a bad friend but if you if you're if you're going to come around me when i'm willing to hang out with you in my free time and just complain about something or be negative about something or this and that like i've just asked them like don't don't just don't do that either when you're around me we can have a good time 
we can enjoy ourselves and do whatever, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let your negative energy, you know, fill my head up. I got enough of that to deal with on my own, you know, and they're good buddies. They're not, I'm not trying to make them out to be bad, but I'm just saying when I have my free time, we all got to do things that are stressful or, you know, we don't necessarily want to do them. It's just part of life and, and, and doing things. But when you have that time to yourself where it's your time, you know, it, it can only be as enjoyable as you let it be. And that to me should be, you know, the max. The most yeah. you can get out of that because, because that's all we have, man. That's really just all we have in, in life is time and time with people we care about. And, you know, um, it's why I kind of get, I just kind of get, I don't get upset, but I just shake my head at this whole current situation we're in, in the world where everyone hates each other. And it's just like, man, that's, there's just no time for that. Maybe, maybe it was the experiences we went through to, you know, to be able to look at it that way, but there's just no time to hate someone because they're different than you, man. I mean, I get it. I get it. People are, are disadvantaged. You know, they don't have opportunities. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that doesn't exist. You know, um, I know it exists, but I do know that people that have ambition and drive, no matter, no matter how adverse their situations are, they, they can make something out of it and they can make something good out of it. You know, um, sitting there and, and just complaining or saying, I don't, I don't have it as good as you do or easy as you do. Yeah, that's, that's true in a lot of cases, but it doesn't mean that you still can't be something. I just hate hearing that. Cause that to me is just, it's just a, it's kind of, it's kind of like a quitter's mentality. It's just a, I'm not going to try because I don't have it as easy as you do. So until someone makes it as easy for me as it was for, for you, then I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Like, that's just not, I don't feel like that's the way to look at, at life. Um, oh, that's, that's a great album. Yeah, I, I know, I know I went on a rant for a while. No, no, just, no, it's perfect. Uh, no, um, here's something to like, just to hit up on a few things, you know, mainstream American culture is radically different from, those of like the you know the military or just those like isolated warrior systems but like just for example like uh the japanese they don't really see therapists or peer support specialists or anything like that and they go through death grief and despair in a wholly totally different way and the reason why they suffer a lot or not suffer but the reason why they don't do those things why they don't see therapists is because of what, like what you said, they don't want to forget. They don't want to forget the memories of those that have passed on. And to them, it's very, very personal. And, and just today's kind of culture too, it's like people walk around, you know, just talking about how much they suffer rather than looking at, you know, the, the, not the silver linings, but, just the small victories that you have, the small victories you can gain from just the simple thing as walking outside your front door, yeah. going to the gym, eating a scoop of peanut butter, having some TP, 
you know, or some baby wipes or some water or not living, you know, check to check. Right. Um, just that kind of gratitude will take you a very long way. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, what's happening today, man, is a lot of it was artificially inseminated yeah. by the way warfare has just completely changed. Um, and one of the biggest beefs that I have, you know, with, with kind of like mainstream DOD and, and I, I know I say a lot of mainstream because it seems that, you know, nonlinear or asymmetric thinking, you know, goes out the window and we all have to be in our positions doing our specific jobs, but, you know, looking at it through those kinds of lenses where you bring in a different perspective is very much needed. It's like a lot of group think going on right now, a lot of bandwagon stuff going on. Um, but this, this, this country, man, this, this like land of opportunity, you know, for, for people like my mom, who was an immigrant who died of lung cancer, um, trying to gain citizenship in a, in a state that was once Mexico, you know, she loved it, man. She loved living here. She loved, you know, the, you know, she loved the fact that I was joining the Marine Corps to do all these things. And that's something to, you know, that I hold on to despite, you know, those early, uh, kind of traumatic experiences. But I remember that shit, man. And then I remember, you know, like my, my recruiter who's now in campus June and I'm forever grateful to that guy for, you know, basically make, making me live with him for like three months before I shipped yeah. off. And there's no real way to pass on that kind of experience, especially to the uninitiated. And I think that for a lot of folks, you know, ritual is no longer part of American society and things like initiation or like ritual rites, you know, and for a lot of these preteens, teenagers, and young adults, a lot of them are still trying to figure out who they are. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you have, and like I said, you know, the research is what kind of grounds me, but we have a, you know, multi-generational outlook where these kinds of like meta narratives, like religion, uh, law, human rights, uh, philosophies have just completely deconstructed and there's no longer a standard where you're able to judge life or have a kind of judgment that gives you the ability to see past, you know, that negative aspect. You know, I, I look at my experiences like early on in the Marine Corps and I'm grateful for like all the seniors that I had. <clears throat> it was a, uh, uh, Lance Corporal Hall, Senate, uh, Kerr, Silberman, all those dudes, man, they taught us, you know, team or buddy, team, squad integrity, then platoon integrity. They taught us how to be self-resilient. They taught us how to be decentralized. You didn't always need a staff NCO, you know, take the initiative, do, do it right. And that stuff lives on, man. And I never forget that stuff. Like to me, that's the only one of the freaking reasons why I'm still here is because I remember those early lessons. It's just not in my constitution to give into defeat as much as I wanted to. It's just not. And it would be the greatest waste of time to let those guys down by saying, I got to check out. And I understand why guys check out, man. I've, I do. 
it's just, it takes time to cultivate and, you know, and I think about it too. It's like, I've been fortunate to have all the resources, the people in my life to kind of get me from point A to point B. And I think about all those dudes out there that don't have that. And it's hard because it's, how do you keep up with all these dudes? And I know there's like social media and I know there's yeah. cell phones, but it's not good enough. Yeah. No, You can't recreate that metaphysical past. No. And, and, and personally for me, it's no longer about checking in like that. Now I'm, I'm going to change the fucking fabric of reality. Like one of the issues talking about, you know, like Cooper's color code, talking about the psychophysiological aspects from like growth spin. Like my mission with this next book that's coming out is to actually go talk to Marine Corps, you know, headquarters and say, look, we need to create a new MOS that specifically targets the mental health, the yeah, kinds right. of psychophysiological aspects, put a, an MOS 0333 on it and let every squad, every platoon have one of these individuals in it and change the entire institution of, let's say, if you're going in for four years, we're going to change it to 15 years. The group that you come in with, that's the group you're going to leave with and incorporate yeah. agrotherapy types of practices and just instruct from everything from psychology to philosophy, because no matter what we do, this business of war fighting is a very human business. It feeds and it needs the very primal aspects of who we are. And if we can't recognize that now, and I don't think we are, everything that we do is always reactive. And that's like one of the biggest beefs that I got with DOD is that, you know, you have a $700 billion budget and you spend it on this stupid technology while we're getting our asses handed to us by freaking not uh, insurgents across the country or across the globe. You know, we're getting defeated by some 18-year-old Russian sock puppet who's literally developing human assets over the internet, sewing division. And then we're still over here throwing out commercials, you know, trying to freaking rope climb a, yeah. a freaking tower. Yeah. And it's not, that's not the way of the world today. So it's like, how do you, do and I do have the, I have these like grand plans that I have written down and I can't wait to share that. You know, I'm not, and I'm not some fucking savior and I don't think I'm a savior or anything like that. I just, one, I know where I came from and I remember that. And as the years have passed on, the Marine Corps, you know, 2-8, the guys that were there just mean that much more to me now than they ever have. You know, and I'd be the first, I remember we were in a, a AP Hill. I think it was this, the first time that we went to AP Hill and I felt bad because Gunny Grimmett was like, you know, once you get out of the Marine Corps, you know, you're going to be a great human being. And, dude, I busted <laughs> out laughing. Because <laughs> the only thing that I, re like, I could see was, like, <laughs> gross and Todd. And I'm like, <laughs> have you <laughs> seen these people <laughs> in the barracks? Holy shit. Oh, man. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's taking a different narrative for me now, and I know what I got to do. Yeah, dude, and I 100% support that. I mean, like I, you know, like, kind of like I said, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you're getting behind 
behind the ball on that one and and wanting to you know take it up the up to the top i'm on board with that shit 100 percent. but you know it's always weird to me because i think about you know boot camp and even the ranges and shit we did like just about how difficult it is for the the military to adjust to to new training and new you know we're running fucking we're running fucking world war ii ranges for the majority of our training workups only now now they have sick ass mount town shit when the invasion of in of iraq was in fucking 2003 dude now they have badass mount towns when we when we're sitting there clearing out single wide connexes acting like it's a mud hut like that that shit takes so long and i mean now now is the time to propose them to develop this when there's not a war going on have it ready have it ready for the next time it does happen um because it will you know it will happen again who knows what it'll be like you know will it be like afghanistan or vietnam or or will it be a mech war or fucking drone war or who knows but there's still going to be people that are experienced to the realities of war that need to have something in place to or or a person there to evaluate them and and check them out and help them work through it maybe on on site um and not just kind of push it to the back of their head like oh you got to stay hard because your job's not done you know um let me tell you one of my greatest fears with all of this is that um, I use three, three, three kinds of phrases. One's called uh, mimetic entropy, social entropy, and genetic entropy. And I've been monitoring like the numbers of, let's just say going all the way back to 1973, when the all-volunteer force was constituted. And two things happened at that historical time period. One, the American population detached itself from the spectrum of war. And then two, we started creating a warrior case system. And now, like looking at the OIF and OEF veterans that got out, now all their children are going back into the military and it's creating this civil military divide. On top of that, we have these pre-existing issues, kind of like uh, the Pentagon released a report that 60% of American young adults ages, I think it was like 16 to 24 are, uh, they don't have the IQ level, they're obese, and they can't serve in this kind of capacity. And the point is, is that the all volunteer force held a lot of skepticism because it meant that now the power would send this group of individuals into questionable con, you know, conflicts and the American people would respond, well, that's what you decided to do with no consequences. Yeah. And what I fear the most is that at some point within the next 20 to 40 years, that the genetic level at the genetic level, we're going to be so docile. We're going to be so passive and so engineered yeah. that we're not going to know what it means to fight. hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. 
I've, I've said not in the way you put it, obviously, but I've, I've said similar shit, you know, to my brother, even and just, just talking, I'm like, you know, you're, you just keep, we're breeding weakness. Um, I don't want to say we're breeding weakness, but, but, you know, our, the current state of our country is, is, you know, turning people away from masculinity and, you know, that warrior mentality saying that you can't behave like this. You can't act on these feelings. You can't, you know, not, not that it's a good thing to be a, you know, to be chauvinistic, but, but those traits are all part of warrior culture, you know, and being, and being the baddest guy on the battlefield, you know, when, when you start teaching kids that you can't act this way, what do you like? What do you end up with? I mean, exactly what you're saying. Just a, just a so, just so domesticated. And how how good is it? You know, domesticated dog against a pack of wolves. You're not gonna right. win. You're not gonna win because they're wolves. They're all wolves. That's all they know. They're they're harder. Even even the Taliban, the the guys we fought are way harder than than any of us ever were their their lives have been they live in the dirt dude you know that 100 percent. yeah they, they don't they don't have amenities like we have they don't have comforts like we have you know wi-fi a cozy fucking rack to sleep in in the barracks you know when we're training for this shit they're living in the dirt they're shitting in the creeks brushing their fucking teeth with wooden fucking sticks and you know they're fighting for their livelihood. We're fighting them because we say they're bad, you know. Just, just, just like you just said, it, if this continues to go on, unless, unless it will be a mech or drone war, you know, we're going to have a, you know, a huge handicap in it unless shit changes. Yeah, no, definitely. I know the Marine Corps is downsizing. They've taken out tank division. What's going on in Armenia and Azerbaijan with the drones? $2,000, dude, you can buy your own fucking drone and blast a mech, you know? Yeah, the, mor the mortar drones? <laughs> They're rigging these <laughs> things up with mortars? The suicide yeah, drones is what they call that's, them. That, that's terrifying, dude. Yeah. That is, that is about as terrifying as a sniper, dude. It may be worse. I, I, mean, I, I said it's, uh, it makes IEDs look like toys. Yeah. Dude, you don't even have a chance. You don't, you don't even, yeah. I mean, at least, at least when you're out on patrol, you know there's, <laughs> there's possibly IEDs there. And if you got a good sweeper with you, you can maybe find them. You can't do shit about that. Yeah. You know, you, you can't do anything about it. That's just, that's insane. That, and in, in that short amount of time, you know, they already, they're already taking, people are smart, man. The enemy's incredibly smart. That's what happens when you watch the United States, the world's predominant military force, fight for the past 20 years. You adapt, you overcome. And yeah, um, fifth generation war fighting is going to be a beast. And I know, I know there's like a lot of theorists out there. There's no difference between fourth and fifth, but you know, all the warfare tactics of the past are just being recycled and repackaged with technology. 
And what we're seeing now is that effect. And like, I have, I have a lot of fears that are going to do with the operational community. And I think one of the most detrimental things that DOD and just Marine Corps wide was the fact that we let all these people with all these experiences go and we have no contact with them. You know, the expertise and the knowledge, you know, Grunt is one of the smartest motherfuckers on the face of the planet. And we just simply let them walk out without kind of dissecting their brains to see what can be done. Dude, for sure. And I mean that, and like you said, that, that type of knowledge and information and experience is, can only like really be, be gained in those fucking terrible circumstances, you know, um, that, that shit can't be learned in a training scenario or a classroom or, you know, that, that kind of shit is only developed through those, those terrible times and circumstances where somebody works through it and figures it out. And, you know, like you said, that's, that's all gone when, when you just send them out the door and say, Hey, I hope you enjoy your life. Hope you figured out not, Hey, you know, you, you were an exemplary, you know, part of our, of our force come in, you know, let us kind of, kind of pick through your brain and, and see maybe if you can communicate to us what you were thinking during this situation and break it down for us. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people can't, can't communicate that, you know, it's just like a natural you're just, it's just a natural thing that they possess, you know, when they're in those situations, like somebody like Scooter, you know, that is just through and through a, a, oh, yeah. a fucking warfighter. And he probably couldn't tell you a damn thing about it, but he could just say, Hey, yeah, you just do it. And he's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just instilled in him. Like you said, it's that lineage. Most likely he probably doesn't know about it, but he probably has ancestors that just, genetically are are designed to be fucking warriors and fighters you know i think i think a lot i think a lot of us do um just like you said you found out like you you might not know about it but it has to i don't think it just comes out of nowhere and then all of a sudden an individual just possesses these traits and qualities that you know makes them better than the next guy i think it it is ingrained in you somewhere along the way um yeah like a biomarker no definitely right but i mean like like what we were saying like i don't know how some guys might not be able to to help train anyone because they they're just like i'm just doing what i'm what i'm doing out there you know like i just know how to read situations and i know how to react to situations so can't really help you but so, some might be able to, um, but they definitely need that. You can't, like you said, you can't, that's a lot of valuable experience that you can't just let go waste. Yeah. And say, you're going to be, you guys are going to be, you're going to be great fucking citizens when you leave this place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, see you later. <laughs> yeah. No, man. Uh, one of the uh, early like one of the early ideas that I had before like AI got like really big, um, I call it a tactical sense maker. 
So for like boots that were going into these conflict situations, I wanted to create a kind of like app that had like thousands of scenarios that would be linked up. And let's say like you get in a gunfight, the AI would be like sending in your pause reps and in your situation report, find cover, dumbass, move to this location. I wanted, I wanted to create that, but I just don't have the, the language for software. Right. Um, Dude. Yeah. That actually, I mean, I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like we were trained well on that. I mean, of course, like all the shit we did, like calling for fire and, and nine line shit and everything. But like you said, like that really wasn't like, that wasn't really drilled into you to where it's not like, buddy russian was you know or or something like that where you're just which that's obviously a pretty fairly simple um for some some yeah Yeah. but i mean like nine lines and call for fires and stuff like that like that wasn't really that wasn't really pushed as hard as it i feel like it should have been or I think it was just a mission, uh, like the Marine Corps locate close with destroy the enemy by fire maneuver, you know, to repel the enemy's assault, you know, just the way that we were brought up. And I think we had a hell of an experience transitioning from OIF to OEF, you know, where it was just like pure kinetics. Like you're not going to fucking, you know, you're not going on a Mew. You're not going to Australia. You're not going to go train an indigenous population, right? You're going straight into, you know, a theater of combat. And the only thing that you need is, you know, beans, bullets, bandages, your mind, and go. Go hunt. And I think that's a different mindset than kind of what it is today. And even today, it's still like, well, you still don't have, like, the. I think there was a 2017 Marine Corps Times article at that point in time in the Marine Corps, there was only like 17,000 combat veterans left, Marine Corps wide. Like it had dramatically decreased from like 40,000. Yeah. And so it's like, and I'm not saying anything about, you know, our, you know, our other Marines and, and their MOSs, but just in general, if you like want to use a ground element to do some kind of operation, uh, you still need that experience. There's something there about that leadership potential, but just having that. And also think too, that we weren't like, like I grew up in a kind of like a, in a Mexican American kind of an environment. So like, and then I look like, you know, the Iraqis and the Afghans, bro. So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I could have like, it was easier for me to make a cultural kind of connection with them yeah and it's funny because I, I used to i used to mess with them i used to speak spanish to them and then they'd be like <laughs> <laughs> they're like this guy's not speaking english we know what english sounds like what the fuck's he saying and like farsi don't we <laughs> yeah um and so one of the things that i wish that we were taught more was more about cultural um, like cultural sense making or cultural awareness, I would think we could have used that to our advantage so that, you know, in 2018, they released an article, uh, and I, I can't remember the article name, but like 70% of Helmand province 
or Afghanistan had just been retaken by the Taliban. Yeah. And, you know, for one, it's like, I really don't know what to do with that other than think about, well, what could we have done better? Well, I know that for one, uh, coin wasn't what it was, you know, coin wasn't what it was supposed to be. We took coin from David Galula, a French uh, colonialist. And if you do the research on coin, it's basically you slaughter an entire fucking population. There's no fucking hearts and minds. Hearts and minds is a little bit does work, but it only works if you're trying to influence a population. Now, I think understanding influence under its like current domain today would have at least given us an edge on how to properly one uh, find the Taliban so that we wouldn't be doing these stupid fucking hide and go seek or tag your it fucking situations where they fire or they fucking put in a fucking daisy chain of IDs and our buffer zones collapse and back and forth, back and forth. I think we could have used that to our advantage by turning up the locals to at least, and I know there's some, you know, I know that there was probably some good, you know, leaders out there that did do that, but I, I just remember my mentality, man. I just wanted to fucking kill. And. Well, and obviously, you know, that's what, what we're trained for and what we're gassed up for. But, you know, if you, if you think about Afghanistan in general, as a, as a war, I mean, in my opinion, it, it's, it's just it's been a fucking lost a lost war it's it's a lost cause i don't think i don't think it was worth the resources that we we put into it monetarily or you know you know the loss of human life that that happened there on both sides of it you know the main difference is i was thinking about this the other day between Iraq and Afghanistan like that was one of the biggest the sh most shocking things to me when we left Iraq and then deployed to Afghanistan was just how different the people and the culture was you know um granted Iraq had been going on for four years before we got there and in Ramadi was you know pretty much calm the whole time we were there it was basically a fucking humanitarian deployment and we're just giving them shit the whole time and you know you go you go to afghanistan and not just the way they lived and the conditions conditions they lived were obviously you know years well behind iraq the people did not want to engage with you and i remember a specific uh discussion we had with with you know some villagers and you know, they didn't want to talk to us at all. And they told us that pretty much through the interpreter. And uh, they're, they're basically like, if the Taliban sees us, you know, engaging with you, they're going to come here. They're going to threaten us. If you keep coming back by here, no matter if we help you or not, they're going to, they're going to harm our kids. They're going to kill one of them. They're going to do all this shit. So they're living in fear. And these people are completely unwilling to assist us at all we're asking them where's the ieds do you know where the ieds are they're like yeah we're like okay can you tell us and they're like no because there's taliban all around here right now watching this happen 
And if they see us helping you and then you go dig the shit up, you know, my kids are getting killed or, or whatever. And from that point on, like that was kind of early on into the 09 deployment. I was just like, how the fuck can we do this? Like, how can we actually do this? They're like, and they did say, they actually said this. They said, I'm willing to help. But the only way that I will help you is if you have Marines here 24-7 protecting my family. And that's just, that's just not possible, obviously. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we continued to find the IEDs sometimes you know the correct way sometimes the incorrect way and that didn't change for fucking for for years so the end of the war like that was their their sop and it fucking worked great for them you know um but but back to kind of my my main point on why i think that it was you know we lost the war it was a loss obviously we lost the fucking war because it's not world war ii it's not the U.S. and coalition forces fighting Hitler's army. This is a fucking, this is a culture. You know, these are, these are kids that are born and raised into these belief systems and into, you know, anti-Western everything. This isn't just a crazy man, you know, you know, brainwashing a ton of people to think that there's some superior race. This is who they are. And, and like you were talking about, you know, influencing them and, and doing all that shit. I just don't know that it would have worked. And not on them, not on the Afghanis anyway, but, you know, maybe obviously the, the Iraqis, I thought were a lot, a lot easier to bend. You could, you could fucking manipulate that. Oh, they were you passive, know. man. <laughs> Very yeah, passive. They would, they would cave they would cave for anything. You offer them any fucking thing. They, they'd fucking rat their neighbor out. They don't give a shit. But Afghanis were just different, man. And, and at the end of the day, I just, I just think about why. Like if the true reason, there's two reasons. One of them makes a little more sense to me. If you want to say the true reason we were, we were there is to, you know, fight Al-Qaeda or find find Bin Laden and you know get rid of him because of 9/11. Okay, worth the you know 2,800 U.S. service members and almost eight billion dollars um, over the course of the war. That that doesn't equal out to me. The second one is if you wanted to try to persuade Afghanistan on a political level to not allow outside terrorists in your country to form to form plots against the US if that's your the the other court that one I kind of can get behind and I know that that takes a long time to do um but the way we approach that in the you know the deployment cycles the 6 8 months to a year to however long the army was doing it, these fucking people, these, these people, these elders, you know, these, these Afghanis that fucking, their biggest thing is bonding with each other and respect building and all this shit. 
when you fucking break that every fucking eight months to a year, the next unit that comes in has to start from scratch. So you get nowhere over the course of fucking 19 years. Yeah. You know, you get nowhere. And that's just a failing, that's a failing operational fucking strategy. And it, I mean, to, to me, that's, that's proven true. That's why we failed. We couldn't gain the respect. We couldn't g- gain any political ground with them to come to agreements and say, okay, yes, you know, if you give us this or you provide us with this, we will not let any outsiders in, you know, to develop strategies against the U.S., you know. And uh, that's why at the end of the day, I, I just say, you know, it wasn't worthwhile. Because yeah. it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't work, you know. It didn't pan out the way it, sh- it should have. And it was by bad design, I think. Yeah, there's some folks that I've interviewed in private interview sessions uh, coming from the special operations community that have kind of, I'll put it to you this way. I think that, yeah, you know, like Clausewitz kind of, you know, more, uh, more politics, right? I think on one level, you had policymakers wanting quick, rapid progress. And then on another level, they wanted that quick, rapid progress without all the atrocities that come with unleashing a fucking force. Right. And to those guys, there was like, if they would have just fucking let us do our fucking job, we would have been done with this fucking situation over a long time ago. And they, we were just never allowed. And we can think about, you know, just the, the minute aspects of our ops, like, you know, and I'm how it took fucking an hour and a day just to get approved for fucking loom, you know, you know, and, the fucking amount of fucking time we lost, you know, and the stupid, it's not stupid, but I understand why we have, you know, the ROEs, you know, PID, but really for a guy to walk around with a weapon system and wait till he points and shoots at me, you know, it's, it's overkill. Like you, you can't operate like that. And once again, you know, coin had its ups and its downs, Overall, it was a waste. Um, you know, I think 2019, when the Washington Papers published, or the Washington Post published the Afghanistan Papers, uh, that was a punch in the gut. It's like all the work that we did, you know, on, to me, Afghanistan has sacred ground, bro. Like, our brother's blood, flesh are over there right now. Yeah. That's fucking sacred ground to me. Yeah, I know. Like, I text you or sent you that message the other day. Like, that shit, you know, reading that shit, it just made my stomach, my stomach sink. Like, about thinking about Taliban man in OP rock right now. And I'm just like, geez, dude, like, how, how more insignificant can can you make our efforts you know i mean not that anyone did it but that article itself just made me feel like it was just for nothing you know the the ground that we owned 
you know, it's right back in their hands again. And I mean, I know you can't, it can't go on forever, but it just, it just went on too long. And I, I don't know. I don't know how or, or if anything good actually comes out of this. Like to me, why, why is Afghanistan even important? Other than what I just said before, besides, you know, the fact that you don't want terrorists to come in there and just create these armies against us, but that can fucking happen anywhere, dude, China, Russia, anywhere where we don't have any legitimate ground in those countries. They can all do this. They're all enemies of the U.S. For, I mean, for the most part. But you're focused on, I mean, that just to me makes, makes me feel like there's, there definitely obviously is ulterior motives behind why we were there. Um, not to get too conspiracy, you know, with it, but it's just kind of funny to me how one of the main cash crops of Afghanistan within that time frame became a huge fucking epidemic in the right. U.S. heroin. Um, you know, that kind of makes me shake my head a little bit, but I just think there, there, there was other underlying things that were, were the cause of us being there besides just preventing future terrorist attacks. I mean, Absolutely, man. 100%. No. Yeah. Everything <laughs> I've gone from everything from Nephilim giants to Vamanas to UFOs, you know, right. trying to, to unravel the mysteries of Afghanistan. And, right. you know, when I think the, the theme for me, when I, when I look back at OIF and OEF, I look at the the one fundamental aspect of why I was there. And to me, it all comes down to brotherhood. Like I actually gave so fucking much. I had this unconditional love for the guy next to me, front back. And I didn't even know the guy in some instances, but I just gave so damn much that I was willing to go to fucking hell and back. And to me, that holds true to this day. Um, but yeah, the ambivalence and the paradox of, of war, I think, has been a constant throughout fucking human history. Um, ultimate questions that may never get answered. And then speaking of OP Rock, uh, this, I think, November 9th or 18th, Marks 10 years that we actually came home from oh, that. really? Yeah. When was it? November 19th? I think it was November 9th, 8th or 9th, or, or one it? of those dates. I was trying to remember, but I, I know we came back in, in between like November 8th. What was it? That's what? That's 11 years? I think 11 so. 11 years? Yeah, that would be 11 years. It's fucking crazy, man. I mean... I get, I do get what you're saying though. And I agree with like, you know, the, the whole, I think a lot of guys did feel that way, honestly, just the brotherhood thing and like not wanting to let your guys down and, and wanting to perform for them and wanting to be there for them. And I do think that is too part of why people struggle so much is when they leave, they don't have that. You know, if they had, 
if you went through those situations and you had for four years, you know, your whole purpose was just to be there for your guys, be someone that they could depend on, you know, and rely on. And then you get out and you go home and there's no one there. There's no one there for you to prove for you to prove yourself to anymore, you know, um, seeking approval is like a weird, a weird thing too, you know, uh, that is, when it boils down to it, we, you know, we were a tribe and any, any, anybody that's in a situation like that, I feel like, you know, there is this, this tribal um, mentality about, you know, you do have, regardless of rank, you do have your hierarchy. And sometimes the rank didn't align with, with who was actually in charge of the situations. Um, obviously in your case, you know, Garrison, you know, that guy ran the fucking show. Didn't matter what staff NCOs or, or what were around, like everyone knew just off of his merit and his experience, you know, that's why people look to, even though at the time, you know, I'm not trying to down talk anybody, but, um, fucking, um, why can't I, why can't I, I can't even fucking think of his name or fucking, uh, weapons platoon gunny he stayed at fucking Asanabad, not gunny grimmett gunny wilkins gunny wilkins right gunny wilkins didn't didn't do a ton that deployment but just his his experience alone like people went to him to you know run shit by him and and run ideas by him and whether he sat back and fucking sucked on fucking moonshine through a you know, a, a contact lens <laughs> bottle. <laughs> like, that's a different story, but. You, you know, fought through Nazaria, bro. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So, so you got, you have weight, you have weight with you. And, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's worth more just for morale than, yeah. you know, having a bunch of shiny brass around or a bunch of, you know, fresh go-getters. You know, that salty bastard that fucking is acting like a shitbag is going to get you through your patrol and fucking be there to, you know, let you know that he can relate to what you're going through when, when shit goes bad. And um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the brotherhood thing is true. It's not just some fucking, I feel like it gets corny sometimes. Like people are like, oh, the brotherhood, the brotherhood. But I feel like when you do experience it in that way, it's like, you know, I haven't seen Rash and Bruno in fucking 10 years, dude. And not to be cliche, but when I saw them, it literally was like, it literally was like we were still in together. Like Picked nothing, up right where you last left off. There, it, it's, it's so weird how that happens. Like I can't even do that with a lot of my family members that I haven't seen for two years or three years. Like, it's like, I don't know what's changed in your life. And it's, it's like all these weird judgments and, and I don't know, but like when you get around your fucking brothers, man, it's none of that shit matters. All the, the only thing that matters is that you're there and they, you know, and you're okay. And you're one and you're in one piece, Yeah, you know? And uh, it's, it's just, it's, if you, I, I don't think you can really explain it to anyone that hasn't experienced it. You know, you can talk yeah. about it. You can say it's the way it is, but you don't, you can't explain that feeling. Um, 
And it's something I'm very grateful for. I mean, like you, like you said, you know, I do think the reason why a lot of people go in and why I, I, I joined, obviously, you know, I came from a, a decent family. I didn't go without my whole life. I never really had terrible struggles or, or anything like that. And, uh, I just wanted to, to, you know, prove myself to myself or find myself, you know, I wanted to challenge. I want to do that. I think a lot of guys do join for that reason. Um, and it ended up being the best fucking decision I, I ever made or, you know, ever could have made. Um, but guys, you know, do guys do have their own reasons. Some people come from bad backgrounds and rash, you know, was facing jail time or he had to join and end up being one of the most solid dudes you could, you could ever ask for, you know? Um, and then others, you know, not, not so much. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't you're you're not all one unit and you don't want to all come home together, regardless of how bad you disagree with someone or dislike, you know, their their angles on things. It's not like you ever want ill will for them, you know, um, in in the truest sense. In my in my experience, I never I never wanted anybody to get hurt, you know. I had problems with several guys, but I never wanted them to not, you know to not make it back but yeah that's um, bad juju man yeah yeah so but yeah i miss it you know i miss it sometimes but i feel like i i'm still there so, so it's kind of like i just miss being around my guys you know but, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh no i laugh because all the dumb I used to wake up at like 1 a.m. at the barracks and I used to go on these crazy runs and just about every fucking time I went out the barracks, man, dudes are just like doing something stupid crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, shit, especially like a lot of the shit I miss is just shit that's not combat related. I'm just like, dude, what a bunch of wild motherfuckers who like it's it it is like a fraternity. I feel like I you know I I didn't go to college. I've never been to a big college. I had big fraternities, but I feel like that's how it is. You're with guys that are from all over the fucking country in the world. You you are never gonna get that same demographic of people again. You know, it's just like the grosses and the fucking you know Learys and just guys from every tip of the continent and. It just creates some real interesting shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, man. That's awesome. So what kind of plans do you have for uh, the Marine Corps birthday and Veterans Day? Um, I don't know. I typically don't. I'm really kind of weird about, like, I don't, no, I don't, I don't judge anyone for what they do, but. Like I don't have stickers on my truck, you know. I don't have a license Same. plate. Um, Same. I don't. I typically don't go to, you know, get a free meal on Veterans Day or anything <laughs> like that. Go but for there's, Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I, I do. I do respect anybody that served, you know, and made that decision, regardless of what you did. I, I, res, I respect that. Um, all the pogue shit's just a joke. I, I do know that you need you need 
absolutely the non, man the non-fighters to to have an essential you know effective fighting force but um i don't know i usually just try to read read some articles about i like a lot of like the world war one stuff um <laughs> you know just just reading stuff about there you know talk about what we did i mean when you read the world war one and world war two and a lot of the vietnam stuff it just make it makes me feel small personally. I'm just like you know you you can never you never understand what somebody went through, no matter if they tell you, you know, um, or not. I said that to my wife the other day. I said, you know, I live with you. I said, I said I live with you, and I have a pretty good grasp on what kind of a person you are. I said, but I still every day do not know what goes through your head. I don't know your thought processes on things. I don't know the way you look at things and what you think, you know, we were arguing or anything. I was just kind of, you know, letting her know you, you can, you can never read someone else's mind. Um, what, even if they're communicating with you and communicating effectively with you, you still don't know how they look at things and you don't know how their mind works. And every time I look at like a, you know, a previous serious conflict. I'm just like, Jesus, I have no clue what that would be like, no matter if I'm reading about it. And I'm like, you know, you read these stories about, you know, these famous machine gunners and shit outnumbered and they're just mowing dudes down. And you're like, they're, and I'm just like, I could not imagine that. I truly could not imagine that what that would be like. I feel like, you know, and they, and they might, you know, if a lot of those guys were still around, they might look at this and be like, you know, I couldn't, or the war that the conflicts that we went through, they might think, Jesus Christ, how did these guys walk, walk those fucking dirt paths, knowing they're laden with bombs, you know, weighted down like a bunch of fucking slugs and just are just waiting to get blown up, you know? especially in the conventional wars, I do as terrifying as that is, it's right in front of you. There's no secrets. There's no one hiding, you know, it's face to face and it's a fist fight, but you know, that's not the shit we went through. I feel like Vietnam, I have talked to um, several Vietnam veterans and they, I mean, they agree. You know, I, I talked to them a lot about, um, the strategy and, and everything. And it's very similar. Afghanistan was very similar to uh, Vietnam in the regard of how they spent, you know, countless days and weeks and months clearing territory, you know, and losing a ton of life doing it only to pull back and it just get, you know, reassumed by the Vietnamese, you know, almost immediately after. And that's, almost the exact thing that we did you know they didn't hold the ground they cleared and then they went and cleared it again and paid for it again and it's just it's just such a poor poor strategy but i know when you don't have the manpower to hold ground you still gotta kind of go out and run that body count up if you can that's the whole goal right yeah but i mean it's just uh it's just, yeah, it's crazy. But as far as Marine Corps birthday, I, I usually like to just read up on some history or something, you know, and just shake my head and be like, what the fuck? 
you know, I could, I could not imagine that. <laughs> it makes me not even feel like I was a Marine, dude, honestly, when I read that shit. No. I love it. I love it, though. I met this World War II veteran. Um, his name was Vic. I met him at the uh, Chapter 11 DAV. And Vic was like 90. And every day he would go to Gold's Gym and work out. And this dude fought in like Peleliu, um, fucking Guadalcanal, just some major fucking conflicts. And this dude used to tell me and a buddy of mine who's a professor at UNCW, uh, like, I could never do what you guys did. And we're like <laughs> laughing our ass off, like, <laughs> you fought in Peleliu, you know, there's like that, yeah. you know, and. My grandpa, I heard one, I, you know, I heard one story and he used to tell me the same story. And that story was there were so many Chinese because he fought with, uh, he fought in the army during uh, the Korean conflict. Right. He said there were so many Chinese that we used to have to hide in the tall grass till they passed us. Like, can you imagine being an American oh. soldier, two weeks of training, no. and then you're outnumbered? And the only thing you can fucking do is hide in the tall grass so you don't get fucking smoked. Like, dude, no, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know. Fuck. No, I can't imagine that, dude. I, I have a buddy, a very close buddy of mine that, you know, since high school, we didn't go to the same school, but he joined the army um, maybe like three months before I joined the Marine Corps. And he actually ended up at Camp Corregidor. Um, which is right across the canal from us in, in uh, fucking Ramadi. They would run us breakfast chows and shit uh, before they ended up leaving. And then the Ugandans or whoever were manning that army post. But he ended up, he, he actually got shrapnel. He got shot in the turret um, right off Canal Street there by the mosque. Like just a few months before we got there. Ended up staying there because it wasn't that bad. But anyway, he was telling me about how his army unit, like how they're, they're really like, they weren't friends with each other. You know, he just said everyone was kind of just individuals. They did their own thing. This oh, is back in, in garrison, you know, they just, there wasn't that bond, you know, cause I was kind of telling him about just some of my experiences and shit. And he's just like, man, he's like, we're just my, his unit anyways, just like, we're not, we're not really friends like that. It's, it's not an uh, interpersonal relationship. Like, it's just we're here to clock in and do our job and shit. And I'm like, man, I could not imagine going to war with people like that. Like your grand, grandfather, um, you just said it was your grandfather that was yeah. in Korea. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine showing up to a war zone like that. Not knowing the fucking guys, dude. Not knowing the fucking guys even in my squad, really. Like, how much time do you have to form bonds with people like that? Um, I can't imagine being in, in even the situation we were in and not really honestly trusting the guys around me. Like, that would just have been a lot more difficult. And I agree with what you said earlier about having, you know, having units that are together fucking the whole time you sign up you're for you're in for this amount of time and you're together period you know there's no changing there's no 
maybe certain maybe certain aspects like mentors or trainers who who are training you or and helping you get off the ground like they may come and go but as far as the guys that are fighting on the ground like i agree with that 100 percent. there's nothing there's nothing better to me about my experience than than the bonds that you form with the guys i couldn't imagine being around people i didn't know or or care about the way i did you know oh yeah so, that'd have been way that'd have been way more difficult there's some uh some historical context so the ancient greeks used to encourage male-on-male relationships but in a like a different kind of way you know the 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 raw love um homosexual homoerotic type of love and the marine corps turned that into a doctrine and that's why we kind of have what, what's called quasi-homosexual properties within our kind of anecdotes, our kind of history, and our kind of like daily rituals. And I make the case that the Greeks weaponized love so that they could fight harder, stronger, and longer. And if you look at like Spartan hegemony, how it collapsed, there is a special unit called the Sacred Band. And the sacred band consisted of like 300 male lovers. And uh, they basically helped, you know, uh, Epimenides take out uh, the Spartans, I believe in the Battle of Lutra. And we indoctrinated, like we we turned that into doctrine. Wow. And I fucking fucking believe it because, dude, we did some homo shit, you know what I mean? And I loved it, you know, but maybe that is true. I never, dude, I, until you said that, I never would have guessed that, but it, it makes complete sense why why that would be an effective war fighting tool, you know, is to create those kind of bonds and relationships. That's, that's pretty weird. I'm going to read about this now that you said that because I'm like... Yeah, yeah and I think... I take it a step level, dude, and I say that it's actual what they call psychical phenomena. There's an actual connection, like there's a, a connection of physical mass, whether it's like quarks or atoms, and we're able to know things. That's how we get like premonitions, the spidey senses. And so, like, I want to be able to use that framework in mental health for guys getting out. And I want to use that by connecting biofeedback devices that encrypted to teach guys how to read the biofeedback so that know the baselines of each other, whether it's sleep baseline, whether it's a nutrition baseline, and then to be in sync with them with all these doctrinal kinds of frameworks and philosophies that they can have a better sense of one responsibility and ownership and continued duty to one another. And, and that's kind of the long-term goal uh, in terms of trying to like conquer or at least decrease the numbers in suicide. Like we have to think differently. Our paradigm, the way we do business currently, these traditional paradigms, man, they're not up to par with what's happening geopolitically. And dude, our numbers are going to continue to fucking decrease until 
some people step out of the shadows and start speaking up and saying, hey, look, let's look at it this way. And, you know, that's what I hope. It's been a difficult task to try to get people to, you know, guys from the unit to come forward and talk, you know, and I get it, man. I, there's days where I don't want to talk about this shit. Yeah. No, no doubt, man. And I think, I mean, you know, that, that I don't know everything you've done and been working. on. I know you do a lot, um, you know, a lot for, for guys in your community and the veterans and everything. But if you, you know, if you ever need me for anything like this or any of my input, I'm not the most intellectual type, but you know, I can, I can share the way I feel and the way I've processed some things. I do feel like I've done a pretty good job of it. Um, oh yeah. You know, and it's, it's not just me. Uh, like I said, pushing the box in the corner, I, I face it every day and I make sure I do because, because I, it's sacred to me. And, um, not that that's a, an effective way for everyone, but I do think, you know, kind of like it seemed like everything I've thought about, you've, you've almost already planned to do something with as far as the, you know, the physiological and, and psychological aspects of it before it even happens to you. Like having a unit that's, that has those capabilities before it's, traumas ever experienced or whatnot like that's a big thing and you know the whole um taboo that you know if you have something wrong with you then you're not an effective part of a unit like that's not true that's something that needs to be addressed i know there's having unit effectiveness that whole mentality is is important and they kind of go against each other but there there has to be ways around it where guys can address their issues that they're having without being seen as weak or, um, you know, not a contributing member to a team. Um, so yeah, anything I can help you with on shit like this. Cause I think you're, you're dead on with, with the way that, that suicide and, and mental health is being approached now is, is not working. It's, it's not, um, and I've talked to, you know, Vietnam guys that have gone, you know, to the VA for PTSD or got, you know, got um, consoled on it. And they do the same thing to all of them. They just try to push drugs on you and, you know, hope that it goes away and you learn how to cope with it on your own. And that's just, um, that's just not, I don't see, I don't see that as being a, a effective. That's crazy. Like that, that is shit, crazy. Yeah, that that shit happens and it and it and it literally happens probably fucking 90% of the time or more, you know, where you just go in and you get prescribed antidepressants or fucking painkillers or whatever else. You know, I'm not speaking from experience. I I haven't been through that personally. Um but I I know several people that have been through that personally and i and i know lutz was an echo guy that that uh od'd from painkillers and i'm pretty sure that's exactly how it happened um you know and i know there's probably been several other guys that have died from from va related substance abuse issues um and that's just not how you that's not how you you 
face things and deal with them. You deal with them by talking about them as difficult as it seems, you know, that those experiences that, that, that we had, they're never going away. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to live with them forever. And it's, it's just all about the way you, you view them and what kind of person that they've made you, um, that makes you able to cope with them or, or not. I think, you know, you're not damaged goods. You're not, you're not fucked up in the head, you know, because you witnessed your buddies die. Um, you know, especially when they're, they're people you, you, you cared about deeply cared about, you know, when you witnessed them die and you had to fucking carry their, their body parts and shit, you know, that's a very traumatic, terrible experience to go through, but there is a way to, to make, those experiences make you a better person. Um, and just finding that is hard, especially when you don't have somebody to, to help, to help you through it. That's maybe been through it too. Um, you know, when they, like I kind of touched on earlier, I feel like a lot of guys that maybe, you know, didn't necessarily go through a specific circumstance like that. They just struggle with, with finding purpose in their life because they felt like they had so much purpose before you know, and yeah. contributing to this brotherhood and everything. And then they're on their own, you know, whether they face trauma directly or not, that, that has a, that has, is a big leading factor to me. And this, a lot of these guys dealing with depression and suicide too, you know? Um, so I, I, th I think that one to me is a hard, is a harder or more difficult thing to navigate is helping someone figure out who they are um after you know after the military but you know there there is ways to to deal with that it is just hard now like we talked about you you got a guy that's off on his own somewhere maybe with no brothers to talk to or no way to really reach out because you don't know who's willing to talk to you or what they might think or you know if they're gonna try and tell you oh shit you know it's all good. You know, you can't just say it's fucking all good. I had James tell me, Colt James told me a few months ago, he's just like, man, you're, he's like, he's like a lot of guys that knew you. He's like, you were just, you were like a rock to everybody. And he said, but you know what? He said, fucking rocks break too. He said, you fucking hit a rock hard enough. It'll break too. And he's like, we care about you and shit. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything. We weren't really getting deep in anything. He just let me know, like, you know, you don't, you don't always got to come across as a tough guy and, you know, that you can handle all this shit. And it meant a lot to me that he said that because that means that no matter what or how you think you're viewed, people are still thinking of you as a vulnerable human. And, you know, I was really close with James for, for that 09 deployment and stuff too. And still am talking to him quite a bit, but, you know, just shit like that helps, but it's hard to know. It's hard to know when people, when people need to hear that kind of shit, you know, it's not like you want to just call random guys up and be like, Hey man, you, you know, because it, you don't want to bring somebody into a rut. If they're doing right. good, if you're doing good and you don't want to bring up old stories, if, if they might, um, you know, bring them down or put them into that bad headspace. Um, so it's tricky, man. I, as much of a, 
as much of a team thing as it was, it's really a very individual thing too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I always say that at some point in your life, you got to go at it alone. And there's going to be a lot of silence one day. And that silence can be for years or weeks. And then one day the silence stops and you're surrounded with laughter and smiles. And you don't ever have to think about that shit ever again. Yeah. And then one day <laughs> something pops up and it's like, whoa. So, yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, I, I had tremendous respect for you. I, you know, obviously still do, but you know, when, when you came in at Ramadi and, you know, we kind of had this beef going on, on who was going to be the RO, like who is going to be the radio <laughs> operator and take the fucking patrols out and shit. And I'm like, this dude's fucking good to go, man. You know, you just know, you, you just know the guys that are good to go. And, um, I like, I, I said this shit to, to rash, which I, you know, I don't mean it in that way, but I'm just like, you know, there are guys that I don't feel like I have to worry about, you know, and I know that's a bad thing to say, you know, but because you always say, oh, it's, the, you know, it's the guy, it's Vanessa, you know, Vanessa right. fucking kill himself, you know, and I'm like, fuck, I never would have thought it was him, but you know what? things shifted in his life. You know, he had, he had, which I don't know all the details of, but he had issues going on in his personal life and his marriage and his relationship. You know, that doesn't mean depression is not just combat related. Oh, yeah. You know, people deal with that in, in a wide spectrum of ways. And it's hard to really put it on just on that, you know, on his military service and this and that. I think he was dealing with the, with a whole handful of problems and you know that was the course he he took but as far as guys that i think are you know directly negatively affected in combat there are ones that i'm just like i don't have to worry about him because because i i feel like i i can tell who who does have that warrior ethos and like you said you know that that fight goes on until until your body gives up on you not until you decide and, you know, um, I hope nothing ever happens to any of the guys that I'm thinking of that way. Cause it's not that I don't reach out to them intentionally. Um, it's just that I, I feel like, I feel like they're the ones conquering the world still. They're the ones that are out there getting after it. They have drive, they have passion. They want to live on the best life they can, you know, for their brothers and for, the sacrifices that the guys made. I mean, that's what our duty is. No, no heart, no, no matter how hard or difficult your circumstances are, that's your duty. You fucking owe that until your fucking last breath. You owe that to them because they can't make that decision, you know? And if you think Joe or fucking Latour or, or Farrell or Vincent, you know, if it, if it were, if it were flipped around, Mueller, Staff Sergeant, was Malakowski. Any of those guys could be in your shoes. Like, I bet, I bet fucking 
I don't know. They would probably fucking beat the fuck out of you if they could. If you were, you know, if you were a two-way guy or a guy that was involved in any of those circumstances and, and they could face you and you were considering those circumstances, they would, they would probably beat the fuck out of you because they don't have that option, you know? Whether they continued on their life, if it happened to one of us and they were a shitbag and whatever, you know, and they didn't make that selfish decision, so be it. I'm not saying you got to be a fucking go-getter entrepreneur, fucking change the world trailblazer guy. Just fucking enjoy your life, man. You know, whatever you do that makes you happy, enjoy it. Cause that's all, that's all that they would, would have wanted to be able to do. You know, I don't know. That's just, that's me. That's the way I think of it. You know, I do know guys deal with things, man. I deal with things too, but I think that's one of the most tough things, you know, you can do. And unfortunately, as tough as, as we are sometimes, the tough ones are the ones that, that do go at it alone. They don't reach out for help. You know, they don't want to show that, that weakness or anything. And um, so it's a, it's a tough thing, but I just, I just personally feel like I owe it to, I owe it to them to be the best version of myself that I can be non-warrior related, you know, just be a decent human, treat people fair, you know, don't judge people, don't pass judgment. I, I'm not a super religious guy, but I do feel like I align with a lot of, a lot of, you know, the, the morals of, of religion and how to treat people and not judge them. I don't know that I was always that way. Um, definitely, you know, not, not prior to the Marine Corps, but after I just, I just want to live in peace, man. You know, we've, we've gone through enough hell. I don't, I don't like stress anymore. Right. Although I created, I created in my own life all the time, but I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I just want to, you know, enjoy this shit because this is what we all fought for you know, our brothers and, and, and the idea of freedom, you know, it, that's kind of a ironic thing to me is that, that guys go and they fight for their fellow Americans and brothers beside them in the, this idea of freedom that we have. And they end up getting out and surrendering all their freedoms to the cause, you know, they can't even enjoy what they were fighting for because they just lost themselves in it. And uh, it's, it's not, it's not fair. It's not fair to yourself. Like just try to enjoy everything. Like you said, that scoop of peanut butter or that fucking, you know, taking a trash out or just having your bare feet on the ground. If you can look at those things and appreciate them and know that there's guys that can't appreciate them, you know, that's all you can really do. I think in this life, in this dimension anyway, yeah but so yeah man i fucking i fucking salute you bro no i salute you man it's glad it's glad seeing you and talking to you and um you know (laughs) i uh i hope you get somewhere with this and if i can be always hit me up i don't know
don't do nothing but work and fucking work on dumbass projects around here that don't matter. So 